Blog Talk Radio. What's going on, Minor Nation? I'm Anthony Salone, live in the studio, in the Minor Rush Studios, with the one and only A-Rod, a.k.a. Alex Nicholas, <laughs> a.k.a. What's good, everybody? Shout out Houston, San Antonio, Austin, Dallas. What else? I met a girl. Love it. What's going down, everybody? We got a two-half part show for y'all. We're going to go first half football. We're going to go second half basketball recruiting. Basketball takes a lot of response to it. If I did yesterday uh, about the basketball team, about the depth that we have, so we're going to get all into that today. But let's start it off talking about last week's. I mean, it, it's like you want to celebrate, you know, it was a good win, but at the same time, it was like it shouldn't have gone that way. We'll get into it. However, I mean, what, what, are, your, what are your general thoughts as far as? You know, it was a great win, obviously, you know, a good comeback win, but just kind of your old general thoughts about what went I, down. Yeah, you know, I hate I hate to start more. off on a on a on a down note or a negative take or whatever, but you know Bring it. it it's just kinda sad that, that it took Mac Leftwich getting hurt for Cooler and his staff to really uh I guess not even open things up because this apparently that was that was all Mets play calling, but I which I still don't know if I believe a hundred percent or not, but but either way, it, it took Mac Leffitt's going down for this this coaching staff to finally like just let go and like let them loose, yeah, you know. Exactly. And let them play loose. Let them play. And, and and honestly, man, that's just kind of sad to me that that they're that stubborn that you would hold out and hold out and hold out and hold out until you know something like this happens. Because Mac Leffitt's, man, that that was a that was a brutal hit that he took. That was a real. Brutal. When you're a small guy like that, meeting a middle linebacker, I mean, in the hole, that's just, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you you never want to see a guy get hurt. I will say that Ryan Metz looked very good. Um, he just looked like a baller, man. He just looked like a, like an athlete, like a player. He was just out there doing what he's always done, just playing football. You know what I mean? I I I got the comparison in my head, and I'm not really comparing him to these guys, but I mean, like, you know, Leftwich is more of a of a Peyton Manning style. Where he's not like this, you know, crazy athlete, but he's just gonna he, he exactly he executes the system, he makes smart decisions and whatnot. Whereas um, Mets is more of a of an Aaron Rodgers type, get it done, move around in the pocket, make some plays with your feet. I mean, again, I'm not comparing them to those guys saying they're on that level in any way. I'm just saying the type of player that they are. But um, yeah, I mean, overall, you never want to see your your guy get hurt, man. It was sad to see Leftwich go down like that. Uh, I. I thought we played extremely well. And on another note, I'm just still waiting to see what what's what's the deal with Simpson, man. Obviously, Mets, in my opinion, is your starter from here on out. But um, to see him get jumped the way he did was another head scratcher, in my opinion, because if I'm not mistaken, he was the second quarterback on the depth chart, right? Who uh, Simpson? Simpson? Yeah, supposed to be. Yeah. You know, what I mean? so how, how I just that's what I, like there has to be more to that situation than we're than we're being told because there's no reason for you to go and skip. Your, your backup quarterback and go to your third stringer when he's completely healthy. I, I don't know what's going on with that. No, I agree. And, and back to your opening points, I mean, it, it, it is true. I mean, it, it was seriously, I think I even tweeted out on minors, that was the worst, sloppiest, worst, whatever you want to add it to, whatever you want to use. That was one of the worst coach games I've ever seen the staff put together. You're talking about not only the illegal substitution penalties, but some of the play calls on third and short. Uh, you know, just again those early play calls that just aren't generating nothing. If you want, if we can even pull up some advanced stats to prove that, you know, just 
what what they were doing was not working until, like you said, they just. I, I, I went down on the field the last four minutes of the game because once you, once the Mexico State went up 44-30, I was one of those that packed it in. And if I didn't have to go to a post game press conference, I probably would have dipped out <laughs> on some shit because it was frustrating. It was frustrating because I didn't feel that no Mexico State was beating us. I felt our coaching staff was giving New Mexico State every advantage in beating us. And, and again, it was that same play calling that we had early, the penalties, uh, you know, some I of mean, the, the, the end of the half decisions once again. But at the end of the day, I mean, it was Ryan Metz that came through, and I had wrote a comment where it, from watching it from the sidelines, to me it was Tim Tebow met uh, Matt Ryan and had a child named Tom Brady. <laughs> like, is it not comparing yeah. him like you are? But it was just that special where, I mean, and, and I think a lot of the coaching staff won't come out and say that to us if we interview them. But Ryan Metz really saved their ass because yeah, that was did. that was just it, it was really unexcusable against a team like New Mexico. Where you and, knew you could come out and throw against. You them know the, the craziest place. thing is that you see a team like New Mexico State that does not. I don't care how you how you shake it. They do not have a good defense, mm-hmm. and even they were stuffing our run there for mm-hmm. a while. And I understand it's not Aaron Jones back there, but it, it just shows that it doesn't matter who you're going up against when you're showing them all your cards pre-flop. You're gonna get beat. You know what I mean? Every time. And that's just I I don't understand I don't understand the play calling. I don't understand the scheming. And, and the worst part about it is I feel like this week they're gonna go right back to it. Yeah. Okay. They're gonna go right back to handing off the and ball. They'll probably be successful, but exactly. Still. That's the worst part. They probably will be successful because of the team that they're going up against. But then that just gives them this false confidence and false hope to run it as we move into conference play next week. But you know, until uh, I, I'm I'm officially off the Coogler bandwagon. Uh, I'm not saying fire him. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm uh, until things change, I just have no faith in his system or his ability to coach. I I really do not. I'll, uh, I can say that right now, without a doubt. Again, I'm not saying fire him. I'm not saying oh it's time to, for Coogler to go. But every single time that he's had an opportunity to kind of change his his style up a little bit, kind of open things up for his team. He puts them back in a hole. You know, he, he he continues to run whatever he wants to run, whatever he feels is best for this team. Whether this whether the results are saying that that it is or not, he's not changing that. And he and by doing that, he's putting his teams in a hole, and he's giving other teams like you were talking about us giving New Mexico State every opportunity in that game. That's all we're doing, in my opinion. When you go out there, you want to be stubborn, you want to continue to run your playing game, play calling. You're you're just pretty much run left, run right type of offense and let other teams shut you down, I mean, you're doing a disservice to your team and you're putting it at a, at a disadvantage. So in that sense, man, I'm just like, I'm I'm completely in with Cougar. Like, in, as far as scheming, play calling, I just, I don't, I don't see it. I don't see it. I gotta agree with you because I mean, and now it's, it's, you know, the, the big thing, what he was talking about this week, what was trust. So it's like, okay, you've seen in a pressure situation with four minutes left and you have the backs against your wall and, and you haven't really tested out your receivers in two full seasons. Well, now you've seen what they can do. Are you going to change? What, what, was he, what was he saying in re- reference to trust? Like, that, that he's trust because he knows he has five guys that he can trust now. Okay, so it was about him trusting his exactly. players. Exactly. Okay. So that, that, that kind of, you know, not really making excuses for Cougar, you know, on yeah, your yeah. take. At the same time, maybe – and he has a good point because if we go back to the stats last year and go back and watch film, there was a lot of drop passes from receivers last year. I mean, you know, maybe outside of Ian Hamilton, Ian Hamilton still had his struggles. But now you're kind of seeing, and hopefully he's seeing because the fans saw that there is some talent at the receiver position, that Tyler Batson can be 
a downfield. That he is a big, strong receiver that can turn around, outmuscle a weaker defensive back, grab the first down, take a hit, and move the chains. You're seeing a guy like Colt Braytag that knows that is a very smart route runner and has great hands. Autry Golden is Autry Golden. Jaquan White is starting to become that Jaquan White type player where you expect big plays of him. So maybe, you know, like I said, not in full defensive cooler because I feel you. I was getting frustrated with the vanilla play calling. It's the same shit we've seen for two seasons. And I, like I said, it's I, I respect him for the whole this is who we are type deal. But if he comes out and says we want to do everything we have to do to win games, well, you know your defense is going to give points. Why not try to get out and bust that big play early on in the game instead of just running? Another thing, too, that I kept saying, where does that play action on those third and short? Yeah. You know, we got stuffed three times on a third and short yeah. when easily New Mexico State was selling out a run. You don't have to be an offensive coordinator. You don't have to have NFL experience to understand. And you're probably well, talking about too. Yeah. On oh, those third and short? Because we have the speed. You, know, you, 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 you have a tight end just kind of block for a second, ditch out into the flats or – uh, you know, a post route or something like that. I mean, fullback, Lafasta, Lafasta's in the flats or something. I mean, it's, it's, it's not, to me, I mean, yeah, you know, we can be, arm, you can call us armchair quarterbacks or whatever, but the fact is that we stand this team. We've watched this team. Yeah. We've covered every kid that's came through this program. We understand, and, and the fans too, they understand what this, how different that game could have been. A couple of play calls in the first half. To me, what's getting just outrageous and what I'm totally through with is that final minute of half management. I mean, there's something that's got to be done because now we know, well, look, we have a two-minute drive, and I get yeah. I, I get when, you know, you have a, a two-score lead and, and, you know, you want to be conservative, get to the, you know, get get to the halftime. You know, you're playing a team like Texas Tech, you're down two scores, we're out the clock, get to halftime. That I understand. But when you're playing in New Mexico State or when you're playing the Incarnate Word or – anybody on the conference schedule outside of Rice and La Tech at home, let's try to get that extra point if we can do that. Let's try to, you know, get some momentum. And that is really my biggest pet peeve with these coaches because we have seen them just crumble in the last two minutes. Like, they wanted to clear the clock. Do they want to go? There's no there's no really game plan for that. And that's really what I'm fed up with because that, to me, was the difference in that game, in at least in the first half. Now, Ryan Mitz went legend like we talked yeah. about it and saved everything. But, I mean, there is some concern like when we both have them. And, and that's something, like I said, and, I, I mean, you can't really – you can celebrate that in a mess. Yeah, and that's wins, exactly – But there was so many negatives exactly that, that just, just kind of got you know, in the way of it. The win was great. To come away with the win in that in that ball game Kids fought hard. Is, is awesome. And, honestly – I, I I love it the most. I, I I'm glad that the players are able to experience that type of win because that's gonna give them confidence moving forward, you know. But at the same time, win kind of bailed out Kugler big time. And and, and and because he did not deserve that win. As a coach, he did not deserve that win. And he in a sense, if this make if this makes sense, he deserved to go to 0 and three, uh, to kind of feel I guess the backlash of of what doing things correctly is. I guess I mean I, I'm if that's the way you want to say it. It's just he kind of like he dodged the bullet. He dodged the bullet because if you go to zero and three, you lose against New Mexico State. I don't care if it's without Aaron Jones. I mean you're talking back back to where we were in his year one or before he came before Mike You're talking about two and ten type seasons. I mean and. I feel like the play of one guy basically just bailed his ass out. And, I mean, I don't know. I hate to harp on this, but it's just, you know, you you, you can't be too excited about a 50-46 to 
27 win when you were down twice 14 points in the fourth quarter to a team that is perhaps the worst if not one of the worst in FBS college football and has been there for years now you know you're you you gave them 47 points like you were down to them on three occasions like 14 you know it, it's just, just like there was it it was a disaster. It was a disaster until the very last minute, and we, we somehow minutes. found a way to tie it, push it into overtime, and get that that big stop and touchdown. I mean, it just—it's frustrating, man. It's it's very frustrating. I don't even know where I'm going with all this, but it's just—and and, I mean, you, you can credit New Mexico State offensively because okay. some talent on offense. I think that's they're they're a lot better offensively, defensively. I mean, we should have really been able to control this game with balance. And we didn't see balance early on. We didn't we didn't see balance really at all in this game. I mean, you could talk about oh well, UTEP had 200 yards and, and New Mexico or UTEP had 200 yards rushing, 200 yards passing. But you know, you look at all the passing yards were mostly in the fourth quarter. Yeah. You, I mean, balance. I mean, would you, have think put about, New Mexico you think State about the early. last drive? There were 98 yards yeah, yeah. passing on just the last exactly. drive. Exactly, and that, and that really can't happen against better teams like UTSA that's going to come in here in a couple of weeks. La Tech. FIU on the road, those type of, those type of whatever you want to call it, lack of play calling, you know, weak game planning, it's not going to get it done against those teams. Those teams are way more athletic defensively. They have more, you know, athletes defensively. They're not going to allow a 64-yard punt return because they have athletes on their special teams that can cover. So, I mean, just some things that, like you said, I mean, it's kind of a sour note to start the podcast, but it has to be said. I mean, it, it, it's the truth. I, you know, it's a great win. I mean, I, I wasn't going to come on here and be like, hey, you know, great. We beat New Mexico State by yeah. three overtime, but I do will give these kids credit. Oh, yeah. and, and like I said, it's nothing on For the kids sure. because I felt that these kids fought the whole game. If we, The main beef was with the coaching staff, like we mentioned, put these kids in that bad position. But let's move on from that and talk about what we found out of that game, and that is Ryan Metz. Yeah. I mean, this guy, and, and if you've been listening to us, ever since, you know, the spring, I have been saying that, to me, he was one of the better quarterbacks that we had. The reason why? Because he was a three. Now, to me, it was kind of, eh, you know, he is a great quarterback, but he's doing this against UTEP's threes. He's making UTEP's threes. He's looking like a damn Heisman candidate against UTEP threes from the spring to the fall. There's so many people that could back me up on that. If you've watched practice, you can understand that. And to see this kid really get that opportunity and to run with it, you know, that was huge. And that was and really I hate, special. I hate to continue to, to, to play the bad cop and, and keep talking on, on negative notes, you know. But my question is, is why the hell did it take so long for him to get a shot or for anybody else to get a shot over Leftwich? If you've seen this, you know, the casual football fan that, you know, you obviously you, you know you know some things about the game, but, you know, it's not like you're some, you know, great genius football mind yeah, coach or whatever. Exactly. I mean, you're just observing, you know, and you see this. You see this, this, this transition of this kid going from a third stringer that's playing against these third string guys, kind of, you know, lifting up his level of play throughout and, and getting better and better and seeming like the best guy out there. Why did it take Mac Leftwich getting hurt for him to get a, a, a shot? Him. That, that's what I don't understand. And what that tells me is that it's politics. That's that's what is kind of scary to me about this whole situation. It's one thing to buy into to your own scheme and your own plans on what you think works and you want to be run first and so on. But it's another thing if you're just putting this kid in to start because of who his dad is, basically. And and we've heard things from people outside the program. I won't mention any names, but basically calling out the coaching 
staff for that. Um, and and just to see that we had this guy, because when you see Mets play, even even when he went in against uh, was it Tech Met, or Arkansas, yeah. even well, when he, he went, he he, even when he went in in those games, you could just see it. He he takes the field and he's a baller. He's yep. a football player and he's just out there trying to make plays. And I don't understand if you see that as soon as he steps on the field, how come they couldn't see that throughout the fall and the spring? Exactly. I, I don't understand that. I don't get that. And I've seen Ryan grow. You know, I've, I, I'm, I'm from the Northeast. I'm an address and all. Y'all know that. I, I've really followed this kid because he is something special. He, I mean, this is a kid that really has grown. But the bigger question is the Garrett Simpson, and you mentioned it earlier. Yeah. Now, I personally think that he's in the doghouse in a bad way, yeah. and and I think it's stemming that injury in in in, in that last scrimmage because I think the in you know I'm, I I don't know Kugler personally I know him from interviewing him and being around him the past couple of three years but I really think that he felt that that was a careless injury and if you make a careless mistake like that in a practice what are you gonna do and that's my theory of you may uh, be of, right. of, of of the Garrett Simpson thing and we've heard before of. of when Cooler came that, you know, Simpson didn't want to adjust to, you know, the thought of, of, of not being in a spread offense and that he was in the doghouse already when he, when, you know, when he came. And that's why he, there was no shot of him playing. Also, last year when they played New Mexico State and, and Simpson uh, called for a quarterback keeper and got in, there was, you know, Cougar got in the space. I, I remember seeing that. So it hasn't been a Rocky relationship. Like you said the people outside the program that are really close to the situation that, that can see that there's either animosity, there's something going on there, and that is not good for a program, especially no, a genuine – Cougar's running, and he's ran a genuine program with was based on academics, based on character, and then your football. But that, like you said, that could be a cancer. And, and you kind of see how the team responded to Ryan. Yep. And that right there is really your big indicator. We don't even really have, I mean, we, of course, we're going to bring this up because we have an hour on a podcast. But, you know, you just look at the body language of the kids and the way that reacted. And that shows you a lot. And, you know, it's tough because, like you said, there is, like I was mentioning, I feel like the, the program is turning around. But to have something as sophomoric as that and kind of hurting your team, hurting your fan base by, you know, having a guy like Leftwich who, you know, we've shown that he can execute the game plan. But to take that extra step and make this team from a decent team to a contending team in the conference, it's got to be Ryan Metz at quarterback or a guy like Gary Simpson that just hasn't gotten that opportunity, whatever the exact reason is in-house there at that, in the Durham Center, whatever that is. But, I mean, it definitely leads to a lot of questions in the message boards. People are asking about it. Some people on Minor Rush have brought it up during it game threads. It just doesn't make any sense at all. Because bottom line is Garrett Simpson has been your backup quarterback. And th- this whole situation happens where Mac left, which gets hurt, and you have uh, you have the choice to make. Who, who do you go with? Well, naturally, normally you're going to go with your second-string quarterback. So. Your junior. And, and, yeah, exactly. And so, and I don't have a problem with Ryan Metz going in no. at all because every time he's been out there, he looks like a player. I just don't understand where you jump from your first to your third stringer. Uh, and, and that's – to me, that definitely says doghouse, and that screams politics to me. That just that's just and, my. And Kugler said that he was hobbled with an ankle, but I mean, it, I, I watched him. I, I watched Garrett go around before the game, and you know, maybe it is a little ginger. I don't know, but I, you know, I just don't buy that. I really don't buy that, and I don't think a lot of people buy that either. We had a caller on the line. Uh, know that we might have lost you, but if you, anybody wants to chime in, three four seven nine three four zero nine five one is the call in number. If you want to get in touch with us and talk about this or anything. 
anything else pertaining to, to UTEP football or even basketball we'll be talking about soon. Y'all feel, feel free to call in 347-934-0951. But yeah, you know, I just, it, it's kind of, it's, it kind of goes against everything that, that we've felt Kugler was building in a, yeah. in a way, because you, you really thought he was building this really tight knit program and, you know, no holes, no little yeah, baby yeah, exactly. holes like and, that. And, and, that's not what it seems like with that whole Simpson situation. This is just complete speculation, of course. This is just on the outside looking in. But to me, when you when you definitely go and, and as far as I know, there's nothing wrong with, with Simpson's ankle or anything like that. He's he not looked, he hasn't he been looked, injured. He's out he's there suited up. He's suited up, he's out there he's holding helped. extra points. So he's actually getting into the game. So this has nothing to do with his physical you know, his ability or anything like that. He's not hurt. So for you to just turn and go Nope, not my second. I'm gonna. I need my third stringer. You know what I mean? Like, there's just there's something there that we're not that we're not hearing about. And if they want to get in house, that's fine. You know, that that's fine. But like you said, let it be known that hey, Metz is our backup because we're yeah. thinking all the time Garrett is the backup. Yeah. And you know, and, and you know, maybe we're looking too far into it because, like you said, he played. Ryan played in a Texas Tech game. You know, he did play in the Arkansas game. So you know, maybe we're looking too much into it. But at the same time, I mean, it's pretty obvious something. Is, is just not right there. And, and the big thing, too, is what Cougar said, that there was a situation. I don't know which touchdown it was. I think it may have been the Autry Golden uh, toss um, where Metz was late – or not Metz, where Simpson was late to get out to the PAT and Metz had to get shuttled out there and run it. And Cougar basically, you know, if, if you followed Sean Cougar's, you know, press conference where he's pissed about something – but he's trying to keep his cool where he just basically said, you know what, I wasn't too happy about that. And he left it at that. And that right there told me, you know what, there, and that's why I wrote on Monday or Tuesday when I, you know, when I did his recap for, from his press conference that with, with Simpson's doghouse. But I mean, either way, it was, you know, a, a kind of a, a bittersweet win against New Mexico State. But we move on. Incarnate Word coming up this week. To me, they're an intriguing FCS team. Um, you know, I got a chance to talk to their head coach, Larry Keenan, earlier in the week. And, you know, they're kind of a budding program, but they feel that they have a team now to compete in their conference, uh, in their 1AA realm. Um, you know, it's a team that's it's, it's going to be kind of old school. I was joking with Anthony before the game. This could be one of the quickest games in Tumble history because they're going to try to run the football. Um, you know, they hang their hat on defense. They have a really, really good defensive stuff. Uh, Tavares, he's a guy that's a transfer from Arkansas. Kid is just really, he's just one of those animals, one of those defensive animals. It kind of reminds me of a, of a of a more athletic Jimmy Musgrave, who, by the way, made a huge play. Yeah, <laughs> we was, didn't even talk about that, that but that was, was that was the play. biggest play. But you know, anyways, I mean, this is a team really that that is going to come in here. They have an old school head coach, you know, with the same mentality of Cougar. Him and Cougar kind of go back in their NFL days, so that's why you see this uh, this kind of game put together because of the connections. Um, you know, I, I think really this is. This, I'm putting. I was putting together a uh, a game preview earlier, and the biggest thing to me, and in the title of it is sort of, can we put it together full circle? Because we saw at the end, of, we saw in the last four minutes, the offense open up, the offense execute, the offensive line was just amazing and, and pass pro. Um, and then we saw the defense. Like we mentioned Musgrave, we mentioned the sacks. You know, uh, Kalon Beverly had a sack in overtime. Can that come together full circle for four quarters against a team that should? Yeah. And that's really the big question coming in. Yes, of course, we're going to run the ball, but can we execute 
balance off the run. Defensively, can we get some pressure on the quarterback and force some turnovers? A, a, a team in our Cardinal Ward that's really struggled with turnovers, they have the same turnover margin as UTEP has. So can the defense get some type of confidence? Can the offense get confidence? This is a big confidence, confidence boosting game that's much needed at this time as the schedule was set up. But can we execute it and not have those here we go again moments? That's really what I want to see because we should be able to do this against the team now. That, a lot of respect to Cardinal Ward because I, from talking with Coach Keenan, I gain a lot of respect for that guy. I mean, he does things, you know, like the, the way that Cougar's trying to do here. And, and it's really good to see that. You know, that these NFL-type guys changing college football, I guess, whatever you want to say, even though it's a Cardinal word. But I got a lot of respect for what they're going to try to do. They're going to try to match UTEP's physicality. They're going to try to match UTEP and, and beat, beat UTEP on the line of scrimmage, which probably is going to be tough, and he and Coach Keenan admitted. But, I mean, this is really a big test for this coaching staff to see how they can get this thing rolling because you have to. We can't afford any slow starts. We can't afford, you know, like I said, those oh shit moments. It, it, it can't. This is the time where you've had two games to have a plenty of oh shit moments. A third game that you weren't supposed to, but you did. Now you're playing a lesser opponent. You got UTSA coming in here. Who their fan base is hungry. They may be hungry after a loss to Colorado State. So this is really, I'm not going to call it a big game, but an important game in terms of execution and continuing what was set in those last four minutes. And that's, that's exactly that last point that you make about continuing what was set in those last four minutes. That, and I mentioned this a few minutes ago, but that's that's what scares me the most about this game is that, you know, you want to see them, like you talked about it, just clean it up, you know, play. Leave no doubt. Leave no doubt. Go out there and play it to the best of your ability. Take care of business. You know, don't make this a game with a school that shouldn't have. Even even if they – I think they're, what, one and two in Carnival World? Two and one. Two and one. Even if it, I mean, even if they're, they, they hang for a little while, this shouldn't this should not be in question down in the second half, and I don't want to see that. And I feel like with with the way our calling is, if we allow them again, just like we did to New Mexico State, allow them to know what we're doing, then we're this is going to be a much closer game than than we would hope for. So again, you know, this is what scares me the most. I feel like we are going to regress and go back to what. Kugler and his staff want to do running the football. And I feel like that's not what's going to give this team the best opportunity to win going forward. And so because of that, again, we might see some moderate success. That's going to kind of push it forward and push it further out to where they're going to continue to play this way for for more of the season. And that, to me, is just it's just regressing. It's just going back. It's just taking steps back. I've that's what scares me the most about this about this week. I would like to see them, like you said, build on what what, what was started in those last four minutes. Let these, this is the perfect game to just let them go out there and play. Yeah. I mean, you could honestly play your worst game and still have a very good chance to win at the end. You know, it's not a game that if that if you you know don't do a couple things right, you could be losing by 21 points. That's that's probably not going to happen, no matter what crazy stuff can possibly happen. So this would be the perfect game for them to just open it up. You know, let's see what they've really got. I mean, use this as a as a glorified scrimmage man, and as a practice exactly. to open it up and see what you have. You couldn't do that against Texas Tech or Arkansas, but you can do that against Incarnate Word. Find out what this team's made of. Find out what they can do, and use that going forward to be the game plan for the rest of the season. So I get that. When you look at these type of games, there's no – we can't – we're not going to – Bullshit you and ten year old. These are key to the game. Yeah. That is one of your execution things. So on the offense side, what do you want to see executed on the defensive side? We talked about play calling and offense. You talked about leading the play loose. 
We know the defense is in trouble. Quit giving Wouldn't up these big see. plays, man. Quit giving up these big plays. I know we're young and all this stuff, but we've got some real athletes back there. You know, it, it's it's more mental toughness. It's just being in 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 the game, being in the moment, knowing what your assignment is and taking care of your assignment. You do that, you're not going to be giving up as many big plays, and and all around it just be a cleaner cleaner game. But that and and I think we also have to see this team force some turnovers, man. Because we really have not seen that yet. We've been on the on the wrong end of of the turnover margins for the first three weeks now. And, yeah, I mean, that, it may not hurt us this week no matter where we end up, but going forward, I mean, you've got to start creating some turnovers. That, that's, that's huge, man, because even if you do give up some big, some big plays, every possession that you take away from the other team is, you know, that makes less that they, they have, have, control, they have control, like, yeah. you know, like, like we expect. And, and one of the biggest things that I noticed, I, I, I noticed live, and I, when I went back and watched the game with the defense, our safeties are just, like you said, mentally – there's no help. There was a play where Teldrick Morgan, which to me he should be one of those guys that playing football back in the day, those were your hot, you know, you, you, you're your hot guys, your Larry Roses, your Teldrick Morgan, the guy, they're playmakers. And he was out in the slot and Nick Needham was one-on-one. And, and this is not a knock on Nick Needham because I think he's going to be a damn good football player, but there was no safety help with him. And that was the play where I, I, I want to say that were across, they were in their, in UTEP, in their own territory and that was a pass right up the seam, and they and that set him up about like inside the ten yard line. I think the next play, Rogers kept it on the keeper. But this, our safety help without Devin Cockerell, we're just lost back there, and that really is a big deal. Another thing too is if teams have been screaming the hell out of us, our guys are struggling with getting off those downfield blocks from receivers. Those are two main things, you know, from a from just a, a spectator standpoint that I'm seeing on the defensive side. For one, we're not getting safety help. Our safeties – and Cooler talked about this, and I thought he was blowing smoke up my ass when I asked him. But it's true. There's no communication. You know, you got to understand that you have a guy like Teldrick Moore in the slot, and he's running a fast route, whether it's a quick slant or whether he's trying to burn somebody off the team. you got to be able to get him some help. We didn't blitz that much in Mexico State. That's one thing I didn't notice. We were more – kind of let our front four see what they can do. It didn't really work early on, but I think that's a big key is getting our, our safeties more involved with help guys, helping guys like Needham. Kalon Beverly, I thought, has taken some great strides over the past couple of weeks where I, the first game, you're thinking you need to get him some more help. Now he's starting to kind of be a little bit more consistent, but still, I mean, the big thing with me is getting these safeties, that communication down. And Ish Harrison – uh, looked like a guy that hadn't played in a couple weeks out there, and Cougar talked about that. So getting him back in the game shape, and, and a guy like Kelvin Fisher who had that big interception, getting him to be that you know more of a rover and helping guys out, you know, have I guess what I'm trying to say is maybe zone our safeties more in this man coverage to get him help over that top because there, there's going to be teams down the road that may pick on that. UTSA isn't really a downfield threat type of team, but a team like La Tech could be that obviously yeah. old dominion so these are just little schematic things that i'm noticing on the defense and, and it all starts with that front four yeah that's one. that's a bigger key that's one thing that i noticed but roy's got to get going which he did and we roy had a great game but but we, it's got to be in the middle we're not getting any penetration i feel from the middle cooler talked about it. i think you know us i think silas farsi is having a great year on the edge but our middle guys have just really been non-existent Breslin, via real that's really got to be another key where we got and we talked about up. that too last week and the week before about the best help for this secondary uh no, he skipped that in the best help for this secondary is is going to be uh is going to be the the, the the defensive line being able to get pressure on the quarterback it doesn't matter who we're playing 
if you allow them to sit back there and have time to find the open receiver, they will do it. We gotta we gotta do better of of just you know blowing these guys off the ball, man. As soon as that snap comes, blow these guys back into the into the defense into the offensive backfield, you know, and just just make it uncomfortable for the quarterback. And that's that's definitely something that will help out in the secondary too. If they're if they're not having to cover as long, these guys aren't able to make some secondary some second moves and whatnot on them. Then I think that'll help them out a lot. But um, these are all things that we definitely need to see out of this team this week. Again, to me, this is a glorified scrimmage. It's kind of disappointing that this is the first game, but at the same time, you know, it's the perfect opportunity for this team to regroup, find out what they're made of. You know, we've had some big losses. We lost, you know, the first three weeks we've already lost our starting running back, who was basically our entire team. Now we lose our starting quarterback, which, you know, granted, we've got another guy that's, that looks like he's going to be the one to step up. But, you know, you've, you've had some big losses already. It's time to regroup. You've got this game now here at home. You're opening up in front of your home crowd. It, it, you know, it's it's time to really kind of just put things together because this is it. This is the last tune-up, if you want to call it that, you know, before conference drive. So this is when we need to see exactly what this team can do. Looking for big boy Robertson Harris to come through. I really think a guy like him needs to have a big game. Like you said, pass rush. We got to play behind that backfield, especially an offensive line like them. They're, they got some big hogs up there. Across the board, 300 pounds, six over 6'3". But, you know, Roy is a big part of what we want to do defensively. He, that's really a big key for me when you talk about pass rush. So a lot of things to look forward to on the defensive side of the ball, more so offense. I think we'll get ours on offense. I think, like I said, we'll, we'll be able to run five, six yards to carry. Hopefully we can get some play action. you you got to think that the coaches can see that, that hey, yeah. let's stop calling these live rollouts. You know, let's turn it into a 10, 15-yard type of deal rollout because Mets can do all that. So it really just a lot to look forward to this week, 6 p.m. in the Sun Bowl opening game. The Palabra, the Incarnate, Los Cardinals, whatever you want to call them. But yeah, man, this you know, just one one more quick thing on Mets. I mean, God, man, that to me that was I was real frustrated at the, you know, that was kinda of like the whole headline because I wanted to I didn't really want to talk about, you know, all the crap that we saw during the game because Mets just really left it. But I mean this the team is in damn good hands. Yeah. Not only from an athletic standpoint, but from a mental standpoint. Because the kid is I mean the guy is like a 35-year-old Christian man already, bro. I mean, this guy is just he – is, he's a good kid. His shout-out to his pops, man. He's been helping us out with the rush this year. So, I mean, it's it's really exciting to see. Plus, I'm Andrew's bias, bro. So, I, you know, when I see my Eagles out there, that's what we do. Now we fall it. So, anyway, I had to get that ghetto moment out. But let's move on to our Conference USA power ranking breakdown, rundown, whatever you want to call it. Everything stayed the same as expected. Um, you know, kind of a, I guess you could call it a bad week for Conference USA. You know, you had two teams that went down to the wire, in a sense, with five schools and went down. So, really, there there isn't, uh, you know, much controversy, I guess, this week. But there is a team that picked up a first-place vote that I've been high on. But let's start off at the top with the Hilltoppers of Western Kentucky. They lost a heartbreaker to Indiana last week, a game that I was kind of following. Yeah. I saw that they were – like, I felt at any moment they were going to turn it on and, and, and stretch that Look, they, I watched almost that entire game, man. Um, they were up double digits in the first in the first quarter, second quarter, if I'm not mistaken, as well. And and really should have had a, a, just a stranglehold on that game. I mean, really, that should not have been in question. Brandon Dowdy made a couple of questionable passes. Uh, the defense makes some good plays on them and picks them off, I think, two or three times. And and that was really the difference in the game. 
I know what ended up. I think they lost all what seven. Three lost by three. Oh, three. three. They were down. They were down two scores there in the second in the second half. But they did that to themselves, in my opinion. I mean, that was a game that they should have won. They had it. You know, they had it. They had a good, a, a, you know, a good thing going. They were up, I think, ten or fourteen points. They even had the ball and driving, and then you know, had one of these picks that just turned the game around. And I'm telling you, there was two or three. But you take away those plays, and, and Western Kentucky wins that game. I bet you that's one that they wish they could have back because they really, in my opinion, should have won that game. No doubt, but they come in with 191 first, uh, 191 overall points, 14 first place votes. They got Miami of Ohio this Saturday on the CBS Sports Network, 1:30. They, they two straight weeks. Marshall held it for about what, like a year? Or so try more, man. So, yeah, so some type of consistency at the top, but you know, I don't think that'll change anytime soon. But the number two team, I think the most disappointing loss <clears throat> because they just cannot hold on to the football. La Tech, they check in with 170 and points. No no first place votes. But that's a team that's now one out. and two, man. Yeah. And I understand that they've been in a couple close games, but that's a team that basically has beaten Southern and they lost to, to both, well, both on the road at West Kentucky, at Kansas State. West Kentucky was a three point game, Kansas State in overtime, obviously, but I mean, that's a team that a lot of people are high on. They got to start figuring out a, a way to win those close games because you can't pick up those wins in conference. You, you have no chance of, of you know. And I, I think they'll be all right. I think by the time they roll into Sumble, I mean, I, I even I don't know if I've said it on here, but I think that or where, I felt like I wrote that somewhere. But I really feel like they had the talent to be a top twenty-five team later in the year. Like you said, if they can rebound. From these losses, I mean, their receiving depth is ridiculous. Their secondary is ridiculous. They have two future NFL guys on their defensive line. They got to find a way, like you said, to kind of clean up, you know, their mishaps. Playing these great teams, well, not great teams, but these very respectable teams, very close. But I think it's a team, LaTeX, that you're going to see in three or four weeks kind of really turn it on. And and what a great opportunity against FIU at their crib this week, their second conference game. That's going to be a slugfest. I think that could be a low-scoring type of game. But I think a lot of Texas that went out just because they're at home. But that is a very important game for them to kind of show that, you know, we are a contender. We did start. We had two tough losses to really two tough teams. But, you know what, I think they're going to send a message. The coach holds. He's a damn good coach, in my opinion. So, I see them coming back. Marshall checks in just behind La Tech at three with 166 total points. They're two and one now in the season. They bounced back after a loss to Ohio, was it, last week? Uh yeah, yeah, it was Ohio. Ohio. Yeah, that's yeah, 21-10 loss. Yeah, now they come back and they beat Norfolk State 45-7. Take care of business there. They're gonna have a tough one at Kent State this week. I think that'll be a, that'll be another test for them. But um, and they lost their big time safety. I saw on Twitter AJ Leggett. That's kind of a big deal for them. So, I mean, they're, they've hung their hat on defense, but I mean, they, we've known them as offensive juggernauts. Yeah. We haven't really seen that. So, I mean, you're right. Man. We'll see what they got at Kent State this week. And Middle Tennessee, talking about the other. Uh, Team to get a first place My ball comes in at number four, 147 total points. They're two and one out. Huge, huge win over Charlotte, 73-14. That was the game that that, I mean, I'm not gonna say we saw that final we score saw coming, it. We but we saw that coming. You know, that was the one that we really thought, all right, here it is. Either Charlotte's gonna show that they're for real, or they're gonna be exposed, and they were exposed to the fullest, 73-14 loss. Yeah, I mean, that's a damn good team. I really, I'm interested, curious to see how they come out at Illinois. Because I really think this Middle Tennessee team, it, I, I kept them forward. I kept them forward because I didn't want to dog La Tech for a tough loss, and I didn't want to dog Marshall for shitting over Norfolk State. But this is a team that you, that whoever put that first place first place won't ain't wrong. Yeah. You know they're not wrong. This team, like we talked about defensively, they have two of the best defensive players in the conference USA with with Byer to safety and T.T. Barber. Their offense is rolling. Stock still 
this kid had five touchdowns, 369 yards, was like 22 out of 27. Of course, you know, it's against Charlotte, but that's pretty damn impressive. I mean, this team really is going to be – I really think that they're up there with La Tech and a team that if they keep rolling, they can get some top 25 votes towards the end of the year. So, big game for them, I think, before Congress play starts to Illinois. I, I want to call upset on that game. If you, if you want to call it enough. It should be a good game. I just – you know, in, when whenever you're – Playing on the road at a power conference team, it's always tough yeah. to finish it. It's all even, you know. That's what that's what we see. You know, that's what we saw this weekend with Western Kentucky. Kansas they had State. it, and also with Kansas State and Montech. You know, the teams that had control of the game had opportunities to win the game, and it's just it's really tough to close it out. But again, you know, this is a team in, in Middle Tennessee that 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 could make some in Conference USA, and a team that makes some noise in Conference USA should also do the same at Illinois. So we'll we'll see what happens. Rice checks in at number five, the 141 total points there. Uh, they're down a spot from last week, even though they beat North Texas 38-24. They I kind mean, of let North Texas back in that game because they were up kind of big. So I think man, that's where I kind of put them down to five. But, I mean, they're still going to be tough to stop. Their run game is going to be tough yeah, to stop. No doubt about it. FIU comes in at number six, 112 total points. They're coming off a 39-14 win at NC Central. I don't know what to make of, of FIU at this point, man. Um, I know we talked about their defense. They've had they've had a solid defense last year, creating turnovers and whatnot, and that's carried over somewhat into this season. But I don't know. I I feel like like this game against NC, NC Central was another opportunity for them to kind of put up one of those sixty to fourteen, yeah. you know, shut them out. Shut, shut them out if your defense is that great. Now I don't know the exact and how exactly the game went down. I don't know if those those fourteen were in garbage time or anything, but you know. I guess they'll have the opportunity to speak this weekend against La Tech. Yeah, and that's that's really kind of, I mean, probably like the only Conference USA game as we go through the schedule, but that's really the big conference game early on the year to see if La Tech, like we mentioned earlier, can rebound, put it all together, and if FIU's defense is for real. Southern Miss checks in at number seven, and I think I had Southern Miss at number six ahead of FIU. Um, seven, but that's and they, respectable. This is, to me, that win against Texas State proves that this team is for real. Yeah, and they're back uh, to a point. Not that Texas State is is a great team, kind of middler in, in in the are they in the summer? Yeah, they're six and six, I guess. Yeah, they're, they're going to be right in, you know, some some around there. But to go on the road into a, into the Sun Belt isn't necessarily saying a whole lot. But still, to go on the road. <laughs> but to go on the road in the Sun Belt, pick up a win and score fifty six points. I mean, that sounds like typical Conference USA. So I would definitely say that Southern Miss is back. I don't want to say I called it, but I called it. This team's going to be fun to watch. I mean, that offense, they, they have those athletes. They've been in that system. It's going to be really fun to watch. I'm scared as hell for you to have to go into the Rock later in the year. No doubt about it. Numero Ocho, 87 points coming in with the Old Dominion Marks. And that's another team like FIU. I mean, it's not bashing Old Dominion, but they haven't – I mean, they played NC State, and, and I don't want to say they got rolled. They did get beat 38-14. We really haven't seen the full onset. Our quarterback, or the running back, Lowry, is a damn good talent. Three straight games with 200 yards to open the season. But my jury is still out on them, and I had them eight exactly where they're at. Yeah, I had them right about that, too. Um, again, they didn't really put up much of a fight against NC State. I think it was like a, a 17-14 game in the first half. Something like that, yeah, and then that and then it ended up 38-14. But either way, um, the jury is definitely still out, and they got another one this Saturday against Appalachian State. Obviously, FCS opponent, but 
that, that one won't be an easy one. One thing I, I mentioned a lot last year is that they're, they're one of those winning programs where all they've done is won, yeah. even though at the FCS level, and I think we're kind of starting to see that fight in them still, even losing a guy like Heineke, that was pretty much their, their offense last year. So still the jury style on them, and we can't even get a good grip on them because they play Appalachian State this week. So they'll easily go to 3-1 and one in the conference play. Number nine, the Jutep Miners, 77 points. A couple people had them at 11. Some people had them at 12. I was ready to put them at, four, uh, thir- at 14. Screw it. There's not even 14 teams. I, I had them at I was, nine. I was, but I was I, about yeah, ready to I put agree. them at 14, man. And, and I think they put them at nine because they showed a lot of a lot of heart and a lot of will to stay in that game, to like, overcome multiple you know, double-digit deficits in the fourth quarter and still come away with that win. That was that was big, man. That was big. Uh, I give major props to UCEP. I mean, they really took a step forward, even though we talked about some of the negatives. As a team, these players have been a step forward. I, they still need some help from their coaching staff, but but they've definitely shown that they're that they're capable. So uh, I like what I saw, and I think nine is pretty fair. What's the Anthony Salome line for this game? If you had to put a line since Vegas ain't putting a line, what would you? Put uh, I would I would probably say. UTEP should be favored by like 18 or something like that. You know, I would maybe 21, but I wouldn't put it at more than that. You know, um, you got to take care of business. I mean, yeah. you're the better team. You got to take care of business. No, you should win by multiple touchdowns. Uh, I'm not expecting a 40 or 50 point win. If we were to do that, great. But, you know, I just, yeah, I would say somewhere in the neighborhood of 18 points. That's a little bit. I mean, the UTEP fans are like, what? You know, got to be for real, man. Number 10, the Florida Atlantic Owls. Oh, man, I feel so bad for the Owls. They lost their quarterback. My One of my favorite players in conference today, Jaquiz Johnson, went down. They got Jeff Driscoll's little older brother starting, and I don't think he rubbed the FAU fans a little wrong in their loss last week to uh, Buffalo. But this is a team that's reeling right now. 0-3, like I said, they lost their starting quarterback, which is a big part of their offense. Don't know, haven't really read how far he's out, but this is a team that's struggling. I don't see it getting better for them. UTSA as well, coming off a big loss to Oklahoma State, 59-14, seven turnovers for them. That was a tough one, especially after you saw them. I mean, in their first game against Arizona, they held it close. In their second game against uh, Kansas State, they held it close for a while, and then Kansas State ran away with that one. But this one is just – we felt it. We felt it against uh, Texas Tech. So it's yeah. kind of, you know, we know where they're what they're feeling right now. But <laughs> but yeah, man, that's that's a tough one. Yeah. I mean, in Colorado State, ain't no Patsy coming into the dome this weekend. So I mean, them them boys really got to buck up. It's gonna be a big. I, I really think that from the outsider's perspective, I think the Heat kind of get has to get on Larry Coker because this team's beating themselves. But we'll find out. We'll get a true test of how good UTSA is when they take on Colorado State this weekend. North Texas coming at number 12, and they actually didn't even win, and they're 0-2, but they moved up in the rankings. I guess that loss by Charlotte, 73, giving up 73 points is just a bad taste. Yeah, apparently, man, because voters are, are, you know, putting them all the way at the bottom. But North Texas and Charlotte round out the bottom of the of the power rankings this week. So what no. do we got coming up this week in Conference USA football, man? I mean, I think you really got to watch that FIU game. Uh, you know, that's going to be a really Southern big Miss FIU, La Tech, and Southern Miss Nebraska. Because I, if my memory is correct, Southern Miss has beat Nebraska when they were when they were Southern Miss, I would, right? Yeah, I would, and I, I, if a Southern Miss fan is listening, or whatever, correct me on that. But I mean, that's those two games are, are real interesting. I think you know you also want to see how we, how we, we I've been talking up Middle Tennessee, how they're going to come out against a team like Illinois, and will Florida Atlantic overcome, you know, because I think I think that could be disaster for Florida Atlantic against 
play without their quarterback the way that they played last week. So some interesting games before we get into the full docket, which I think is next week. I haven't looked too far ahead of the conference to the day schedule, but what do you see now this week? Well, I, you know, a big game, in my opinion, is Rice and Baylor. And, I, and I'm not expecting Rice to come up with the win, but it, it'd be nice for the conference. You know, I'm sure this one's going to be on national television, right? It's on Fox Sports 1, I believe. So it'll be on FS1. It'll be a chance for for Rice to kind of step up for the conference and, and you know give us give us something. You know I, I'm I keep it close into the third quarter. I think I think that'd be that'd be a good thing to look out for for the conference. But you know talk about Middle Tennessee. That'd be a big win for them and for the conference over Illinois. And that would definitely solidify them as one of the best teams in in this league. Texas UTSA. If they could if they could beat Colorado State, that'd be a nice win over a Mountain West opponent. But the you know the guys like Western Kentucky have to take care of business. Marshall has to take care of business. They got to keep you know going. UTEP has to take care of business. UTEP has to take care of business. <laughs> but no, these these guys at the top, in order to stay, they're going to have to start beating teams like they should. You know, barely scraping by teams or losing to a team like Ohio last week for Marshall. You know that kind of stuff can't happen for these teams. They really have to get things going and and you know got a couple of MAC teams. I guess both of them. Yep, Kansas State and Miami of Ohio. So we got to we got to show a little see USA pride. So kind of an interesting weekend, not a not a big weekend or, or a, a important weekend, but an interesting weekend to see, like you said, how some of these top teams react from sort of I don't know you want to call it so far starts or whatever. But. So let's talk a little bit about some UTEP basketball now. You put out an interesting post. Let's let's start off before we get into that because I think we could kind of just just a real real quick hit on, on some recruiting with the first 2016 commit that came in, Dion Barrett. I mean, this, it's really, to me, it's a really get because, I mean, you're not really, you don't really need too, too much because we're pretty much, I, I mean, loaded, I guess you can say, maybe we'll find out how loaded we yeah, are we'll when the season, <laughs> but, but there is some bodies there. There is some young bodies. We're going to have the same team, like, you know, just like Tim Boyd has said, you know, there's one thing he's came through. He wants to make a program, and we're going to have this group of guys for the next two years. But a guy like Dion Barrett, who's won a state title, who has that speed that we've been missing at the point guard spot and can shoot like a mother, that's a really big pickup. You know, he's a, he's really strong. He's going to get an opportunity to learn again, uh, learn behind DA, dominant artists. You know, so it's going to be interesting. I really think he made red shirt just kind of my thought, depending on how, you know, what situations with artists. But, I mean, what do you think about a guy like Barrett? Have you had a chance to watch kind of his videos? And, 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 you know? I haven't had a whole lot of, you know, I haven't seen a whole lot on him, but definitely you talk about the pedigree, you talk about him being a state championship winner. And, I mean, the guy the guy is just going to be a, a flat-out athlete floor general for this team in the years to come. But, yeah, like you talk about, at this point, it's, it's kind of crowded at, at the guard position. But anytime you can get a guy that has won a state title, I mean, that's a huge get. So I think what he's rated somewhere in the three star range. Yeah, he's, yeah. Most people have him as a three. I, I would say he's. I mean, he's he's a three star. And I think his his recruiting is going to start to heat up a little bit. Yeah. So I'm not. I'm not. I want to see him on on campus before I start yeah. getting too crazy about it. But you know, he, he reminds me of like a Tyree Griffin when, when we recruited Tyree Griffin and, Ty, and Tyree committed because Tim Floyd really saw I think that's the same attributes that Tyree has and Oklahoma State came calling. So you're right. That's a really good point that you make on this because this kid has another year yeah. and he really turned it on in that state tournament last year. I was watching him go up against Andres last year and just was draining. I'm thinking, damn, 
I, I personally was like, damn, these guards are a little small, but it would be nice to have one of these guys. There was obviously Tim Floyd went in there, saw him, offered him that same day, the first time actually seeing him live. So there's something that Tim Floyd has, and, and Tim Floyd knows he knows the, he, he knows his guards to, to say that. You know, he knows his guards. So I really, really think this was a good a good offer, a good commit, because we've seen so many offers go out over the past couple of weeks, just so many combo guards, and to get that point guard, now they can really, really focus on that combo guard. Oliver Powell, the big four that they wanted to get at the Dallas Fort Worth area, just committed to La Tech today. Oh, wow. So he's off the board. That was a very a high priority. Ar- Armani Brooks is off the board. He went to Houston. He committed to Houston. So the, really, I think that last spot is going to be for that combo guard to replace Urban Morris. So that's why you're seeing so many guards going to be coming in on visits, so many offers going on. I think there's at least like 10 to 15 offers for combo guards and a couple of shooting guards. So, But like we said, the cupboard is full. But if we know at the same time, you know, a trend happens, people leave, stuff happens, whatever you want to call it. But it's just, I think it's a really good get to, to start off the class of 2016 where you really only have one other scholarship and maybe an extra Prop 48 guy that, if, you know, you know who, who knows what it could be. If it could be another Dominic Artist type situation, transfer, will it be, you know, a, a really talented kid that just can't get raised? That's going to be interesting to watch over the next couple of weeks. I think that's what we'll see. But so it's a good start, I guess, to the class of 2016 for the UTEP minors getting Dion Barrett, the three-star point guard. But like you mentioned, uh, had to put some had to put some UTEP basketball up on the site. You gotta we, get talking we, about we, it. Man. We've been real we've been real football heavy, obviously, but practice you know, about a week or so away. I don't know the exact date yet. I know it's in the first week of of of, of, of first week of October. But the biggest thing before I, when I'm getting you know when we do a write up, obviously you got to get your information. I'm looking at the whole thing, and there's a lot of depth, lots of depth at different spots, except maybe center, maybe even power forward. You want to go that far. There's a, we got to be careful with that, though, because I think we definitely have a lot of guys, but depth, I don't know yet, because you got to really see, you, you don't know until the season gets here who's actually going to be game on ready. Paper exactly. <laughs> we got we got a lot of depth on paper. There's a lot of guys out there, but how how big that rotation actually becomes, you know what I'm saying? That's Floyd, my biggest question. Floyd, Floyd likes to usually use about eight guys. Um, you know, you've got enough guys here to go 10 or 11 deep, but are we that deep? That I don't was, know yet. That, that was my biggest question to you right On now. paper, yes. I'm not sure, though, how deep we actually will be once the season starts. I mean, and really we're doing this really deep at that at that wing position, which is kind of, to me, it's almost like a, a Tim Floyd Forte that we've seen guys in this past at USC, at, at Iowa State, kind of thrive. And we're seeing these offensive skill guys now. It's not so much, you know, and not really trying to talk down on Julian Washburn, but at the beginning of his career, he was just a defender. He developed his offensive game. Now you have guys, in my opinion, guys like like Ali Moore, guys like Josh McSwiggin, even throw Paul Thomas in there that are really good offensively but lack that defensive intensity that we've seen on film because, like you said, we haven't really seen these guys. So that's really, to me, is where kind of that issue comes up. Okay, well, who plays, who doesn't? And not only that, but you have two six nine guys that almost mirror each other and Broderick Jones and Paul Thomas. And that was one of my biggest questions. And we had a lot of great comments, a lot of great takes on, on the thread. Really appreciate y'all checking that out. So, I mean, what, what do you do with, with two guys like that? I mean, is it, is it a matchup issue? Can you keep both guys on the floor at the same time? I mean, what, what, what do you see? I them? definitely think you can. I mean, you can always go small. You know, you can always go small, especially with a guy like Matt Wilms right now. He, everything with man. him, is, is, yeah, we don't know exactly what's going to happen. We've heard some things about him, you know, having – 
getting healed quicker than expected or whatnot, you know, feeling better about his foot. But we really don't know what, where he's going to be. And I would assume that they that, that they're going to take that medical pressure with him and yeah. let him just, just heal up because the last thing you want to do is put them put him out there too early and, and it, get him injured again. So you know, with a guy like Matt Williams out, you can always go smaller and just have your four and your five both at six nine. You know. And and so that's that's the thing about this coaching staff though they're gonna have to get creative with the guys that they have because I think there's so many unknowns there's so many young guys you're gonna have to start getting creative with your lineups putting different guys in different spots you know even if Paul Thomas isn't a isn't a, a three you're gonna have to see if he can run the three and Broderick's at the four or or, or then both in there at the four and the five or you know you just you got to do a lot of different things. Obviously, you got Irvin Morris that's holding down the three, or I guess the two or the three. Yeah. I mean, again, it just this is why you say you say depth. It is depth, but you still have to figure a lot of things out as to where people are going to play. You don't know who are going to be your two guards. You don't know if you're going to have uh, Irvin Morris at the two, Lee Moore as a backup. You don't know. It, there's just so much unknown right now. But the good thing is there's plenty to choose from and a lot of talent as well. What's your kind of biggest concern when, when you glance through my makeshift depth chart for Utah basketball? Well, I mean, it may be a center like you yeah, mentioned, it's a but it's definitely... It, it, it's def- for me, it's definitely a center because you've got Hooper Vent. Pretty much penciled in as your starting five, right? I mean, that's that's got to be the guy. But he hasn't shown the development that you would have hoped he would have shown throughout his, four, his, his fourth year already, right? Fifth year. Fifth year now? Yeah, I'm talking five years. Guy, the guy has great size. He can shoot it a little bit, but he just he he hasn't really gotten that that fire that that you know he goes out there and it just looks like he's just going to the motions. He's not a guy that's gonna bang with people and push people around. And if you had that, I think you you know he he could be a real good player at that position. But but because we haven't seen that from him, it's hard to just go well. That's my starting center and be happy with it. You know. It was a little different when you had him coming in to spell Matt Wilms from time to time, but now that he's moved in and pushed into that starting spot, I mean, you're really going to have to figure things out with that. That, for me, that's the biggest question. And I agree because, to me, Cedric Lang did so much. I mean, we were known, like I wrote, we were known as kind of that tough inside team because of Lang. Yeah. Because of one guy. Yeah. And and so, to me, it's not hard to replace that in the sense of, of depth. In, in bodies, but it's hard to replace it because, like you mentioned with Hooper, are we going to see that? Because if Hooper does man up and Terry Wynn is the bull that I think can be, that's pretty damn impressive to have a, a 6'11 guy that is your length and you have your Michael Craig of, of Southern Miss or those other 6'7 fours that we struggle with that's in there and just, you know, pounding away at cats. Because, I mean, watching Terry Wynn last year go up against said he held his own. And then one thing about Terry Wynn, this kid's a 20, 21-year-old guy. This ain't no 18, 19-year-old freshman. This is a man already. So if if Hoop can develop that gene, which I'm I'm hoping that, that you know, somebody just put him against the wall and just punch them in the chest and like, hey, you know what, buck up, boy. Like, you know, you, you're probably from small town Arkansas, <laughs> but you got to play a little rough out here. And I really hope that that gene can come through. And I'm not saying – you know, give up all your five fouls and be aggressive. But, you know, when there's time to put that chest out there and let people know that it's not going to be easy because that's really the big concern because, you know, we saw it last year of teams just being able to blow by our guys. I think we're a little bit quicker this year, but we're not going to have that Cedric language which makes a, a, a 
6264 athletic guard think kind of twice coming into a 6 290 pound tight end yep. you know you don't have that so i think that paint protection is going to be key for us not only in rebounding but protecting the rim i think that's really where this team is going to lack is protecting the rim wilms it does a pretty good job of it but it's, it's all length it's and, not that and much rebounding is another thing we're talking about you know these bigs being able to kind of bang inside and get physical but rebounding and that's part of being physical but rebounding is something that we kind of had an issue with, yeah. you know, even with even with guys like Matt Wilms and Cedric Lang last year, even with John Bohannon the year before, we've never been a great rebounding dominant team. Rebounding. Yeah, and, and even when we've, when we've had the guys that should be dominant, you know, we just have never been that team. You know, sometimes we dominate and sometimes we get dominated. That's just the way it's always been. So that's be something that's that's interesting as well because without that size. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to find those boards. It's all about physicality. It's all about getting getting the spot, beating your man to the spot, boxing him out, and just being more physical, wanting the ball more, basically. And, again, with a guy like, like Hoop that hasn't really shown that part, uh, I mean, that's that's definitely something that's still in question. A couple weeks till practice, October 31st. I'm trying to pull up who they play in, in the uh, exhibition, but – that's coming up. I think actually that's the, the the orange and white exhibition on the thirty on the thirty fourth. So, lots to look forward to. Lot lots of couple here, weeks to, to talk about it. Almost here. We waited forever for football season. Now, now basketball season's right around the corner. Yes, sir. So it's a lot lot to look a lot of questions on that team. We try, I'll try to get out to practice as much as I can. Try to kiss my boss's ass in the next couple <laughs> weeks to see what I can do. So. We'll see what's good, but yeah, I mean, we're about to be uh, we're about to be some busy cats over at the rush once it starts. But I'm ready, bro. Ready, rested up all summer, ready for the Dominic artist. Uh, I'm excited to see that kid, man. Really, yeah. man. you and the rest of Minor Nation, man. I definitely can't wait to see him. I wish Omega Harris. I mean, I know we're still kind of in the dark as far as when he'll be available. I, we're hoping he'll be available by late December, early January. But man, I just I wanted to see them too side by side on that court as the one and the two. Oh. That would have been that would have been a huge thing. But I guess we'll just have to wait. Anyway, another episode in the books. Y'all know where to find us, minorrush.com, sbnminorrush at gmail.com, facebook.com slash minorrush, at sbnminorrush on Twitter, uh, and El Papi Chulo Sexy 915 uh, on Snapchat. Uh, Damn, you know, I should have picked the, the Giants defense. I can't believe you beat my ass last week. You be my ass. I, I wasn't going to mention it, man. I wasn't going to rub it hey, in. Hey, I'm struggling. I, I, I got to make some adjustments. <laughs> I mean, my guys got to start stepping up. You uh, know, it was a rough week, but, hey, I'm one and one. What can there I you go. Oh, and two, my there bad. It's another good episode, man. We'll be back at you. Stay tuned. Pack that sumbo on Sunday or try to at least. Pack it. We should have done it.